nice to see you again. Yes, you too. And you'll control me from, well, yeah, from here. you were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned but I'm alive and well your spirit is 
you all want to stand with us this morning.
greet someone next to you with a good morning.
Go ahead and get ready for tithe time, prayer time. Our ushers could come up, please. I don't know about you guys, but have you enjoyed the rain? I know lots of people are getting too much, but man, the 10 years I've been here, I've never seen such beautiful wildflowers and grass up to your waist and just, man, it's pretty beautiful. So we'll go ahead and continue with tithes and the offering if you guys would like to get those out and we'll say a prayer and then kiddos, you can get ready to come up after that, okay? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the beauty, Lord. The beauty even in the ashes, the beauty in times where it's hard to see it, but knowing that you are working, how you can fill a place where we can feel it's so empty, but yet you're moving all around us and in us all the time. And I just thank you so much for that. Thank you for this time that we can be together, for those who can be here, for those who are watching, for those who are traveling right now, just keep them safe. Those who are at home for different reasons, for health reasons, just keep them safe today and throughout this week. Thank you for the blessings that you give to us and thank you for the opportunity that we get to give back to you. You're an amazing amazing Papa, amazing God, amazing Jesus, and we just have so much to be thankful for. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's see, Adlin, Seth, and Haven, if you guys want to come up, I don't know if there's any other kiddos out there, feel free to come up. We're going to do some fun stuff, and if you have joyful offering, you can put that in the box too. So the first Sunday of the month, we do family worship, right? So we get to all be together as a family. Would you like to help? Okay. 
And so we do a little kid's corner, because that's fun. And today we're going to talk about helping people. What are some ways that we can help other people? How, how, how have you guys helped other people? What have you done lately that you can think of? You helped your brother with some things? Cool. Okay. What else? Seth, what do you got? Giving food to the poor. Yep. Yeah, we have a big wagon in the back, right, where we can give food to our local community bank, food bank. How have you helped people? to pick wildflowers and give them to strangers that you don't know and sharing kindness that's a way of helping them too isn't it yeah yeah you like to do that through the drive-thrus huh help brighten people's day yep that's pretty cool so we have these verses and I'm going to give these to you so you guys can take them home and put them somewhere where you can think about them and these there's so many verses in the bible about helping other people And so these are two that we're going to kind of focus on in the next couple months. And one of them is Hebrews 6.10. And it says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. And then Acts 20.35, and everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said, is more blessed to give than to receive. And so you have these, um, Jesus, it says, well, Seth, what does that say on the piggy bank? Team Jesus. Team Jesus, yeah. So we're going to work together as a team for the next couple months, and we're going to help some other people out. So with that, um, have you guys ever had a mosquito bite? Yeah? Have you had, like, lots of mosquito bites? Uh, yeah. Because when I go to visit my cousins, I get lots of mosquito bites. Yeah, because that's back in Nebraska, huh? They got lots of mosquitoes there. We have few up here, but not too many. That's one of the great things about living in the mountains, right? Yeah. Only one. When you get a mosquito bite, what happens? It's itchy. It's itchy. What else? It hurts so bad. It can hurt. Yeah. You get and it itches so bad, like a bug bite. Yep, because, yeah, it's a bug bite. Yep, it can get red. And then if you itch it too much, then what can happen? Do you know? It can get swollen. It can bleed, right? It's like a horse fly bite. It's like a horse fly bite? Oh, wow, those are crazy bad. You can get it for a second. Okay. So, true that. Okay, so we're going to talk about a disease called malaria. Do you guys know what malaria is? Yeah. Seth, do you want to stand up and hold this poster up for us? Because in that way, maybe everybody can see it if you stand up and face this way. And then, yeah, it's a very bad disease. Yeah, it's a parasite that lives in mosquitoes. And when they bite other people, then it can make them super sick and or maybe die. And so this is a map. Can you show them on that side again? This is a map of um, where in the red, where a lot of the malaria is, and then yellow where there's some, and then green there's really not any. 
And so what we're going to do to help other people is we're going to raise money to buy these bed nets. Got one of these. And... So these are bed nets, and we're going to start raising money to send to Operation Kids. And then that way, they can buy more bed nets for people to help keep them safe at night because the mosquitoes come and bite them at night, and it can make their kids and their families super sick. So for the next couple weeks, you guys will get your piggy banks, and we'll give it to some of the other kids who aren't here. And you guys can put any change, maybe... um, you can ask your parents or your grandparents any extra, like, change from when they do the laundry and they're taking out all the change out of their pockets before they put in the washer. Maybe put it on the washer and dryer. Maybe you can make it a family project. And we'll collect all that money probably the end of October. Does that sound good? Give a couple months, and we'll see how much money we can raise to buy a whole bunch of bed nets for everybody who needs them. Does that sound good? And then while you're doing that, you can put these verses next to it and remember how awesome it is to help other people. Okay? All right. Thanks, guys. Can you give them a round of applause? And now I have the awesome privilege of introducing our new uh, district superintendent of Colorado. He was elected in in June, and we're excited to have him here and right now as a neighbor. (laughs) So that will be super fun. We get to get up close and personal with him for a little bit. Um, Dr. Um, Askren and his lovely wife, Judy, they've come from Arkansas. So we get to share our mountains with them and excited to have them. So if you guys want to give them a good welcome, we'll let Dr. Askren come on up. Thank you. Well, it is a privilege to be here. And wow, that is really loud. Um, anyhow, it is a privilege to be here. And uh, Judy and I are making our way through elevation gain and all of those things that happens when you live along the Arkansas River and climb up here to what are we at, eight or 9,000 feet or something. But uh, give me another couple days, it ought to be just grand. Also fighting just a bit of, of the move, we, uh, as soon as they brought the boxes and paper in the house, man, I could tell there was a real difference in breathing and got a bit of a, it's not really a sore throat, but congestion, but just want you to know, I really don't have COVID. It's just the, it's just the move and feeling better every day. So um, anyhow, well, when I was in fifth grade, this is the beginning of my fifth grade year. We were living in New Jersey, and uh, my dad was uh, in the Navy and received a promotion. As a matter of fact, at that time, he became an officer and was going to have to go to Rhode Island for about four months for officer candidacy or officer training school. So my parents decided that it would be best for survival, and I think it was probably for my mom's survival, that she and the five kids would uh, move to Lima, Ohio, for those months and while my dad was in school, and uh, then he would receive his, his orders. And so, uh, just like the Beverly Hillbillies, we loaded up the truck and 
well, it wasn't really a truck. Instead, it was a 65 Impala station wagon. Do you remember those? I don't have, my arms aren't long enough to be able to even describe that car. It was huge. And you know, and it had that third seat in the back that faced the wrong direction. And we would fight over that seat so we could always see where we had been instead of where we were going. And my mom was a fairly short lady, and there was nothing worse than when she would get upset with us, and we would all scamper to the very back of that station wagon, press ourselves up as far back, and she would lay herself out across those bench seats, just swinging for all she was worth. And then my dad would pull over, and then it didn't matter, because it was all over by then. But So we loaded up the uh, station wagon and uh, moved to Lyme, Ohio. It was, uh, it was great of my grandparents to let us live there. But, you know, as far as I was concerned, it was just another school. It was uh, some cramped quarters. We lived upstairs, the five kids and my mom. And it was just for a few months. And uh, I hated it. I, I didn't like uh, school. It was my second fifth grade out of three. Now, it doesn't mean that I went to fifth grade three, repeated it three times. I want you to make sure you understand that. I just went like, you know, three months here, three months here. So it was my second fifth grade. It was, uh, I didn't like the living arrangements. I didn't like my grandparents bossing me around, telling me what to do. Um, I didn't even like the air I breathed. I was just your typical bad attitude 10-year-old moving one more time. Well, um, I decided there was a solution to all of this. I'm going to run away. I, I didn't want to run away on my own, so I convinced my brother to join me. And so we got up that November morning, hoping to sneak out of my grandparents' house. And I'm not sure where we were going to go, but we were going to be sure that they regretted the way we were being treated. And we woke up that morning, and as only it can do in the Midwest, it had snowed overnight. And it was a lot of snow. And I knew two things. I knew, one, wherever we went, they could track us because they'd follow our footprints. And second, I didn't want to go out in that much snow. So that changed, that ruined that plan. So I came up with a second plan. And the second plan was even better than the first. The second plan was I decided I would just have a bad attitude for the next four months and just make life miserable for everyone. And I was pretty good at that. And my grandparents stopped being fun-loving grandparents and became grouchy old people. And my mom seemed like she was always honest about something. And it was, a, it was just a wonderful addition to a fantastic living arrangement. You know what I mean? Well, I spent those four or five months as miserable as I could be and making everyone else's lives miserable. And it got me nowhere. Life didn't change at all. As a matter of fact, it only got worse. After about four months, my dad came home with new orders. And those orders were to Whidbey Island, Washington. And so we moved in from Ohio over to the West Coast where we lived on Whidbey Island. I lived there the next six years. I missed all sorts of opportunities because of my bad attitude. 
And I missed all sorts of challenges and things that, that could have been totally enhancing and great for my life. But I decided instead I was just going to be ticked for living in Lima, Ohio for four months. Well, in the book of Jeremiah, the people of God had been pushed out beyond their walls. They were taken into captivity in Babylon. They had been sent to another city, another, another country, placed in a foreign land. They were there because of their disobedience to God. It wasn't had nothing to do with their dad's promotion, but God told them that it was coming and it would be harsh. And not only did he move them beyond the walls, but their dear city, Jerusalem, was destroyed. Their homes were destroyed. Their fields were burned. And most important of all, the temple was destroyed. It was all gone. And they were sent off to Babylon. And through the prophet Jeremiah, uh, God sent him a message. It's actually written as the form of a letter. It's in Jeremiah chapter 29. And it's verses 4 through 7. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4 through 7. Here's what we read. I've got the New American Standard here too, by the way. Thus says the Lord of hosts. The God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. <coughs> Excuse me. And live in them. And plant gardens. And eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7, and seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will also find welfare. See, the reason Jeremiah had to write this is that there were a, uh, there was a group of prophets or so-called prophets who were telling it was to they were telling everyone around them that we were only going to be here for a short while there's no way that god would really send us away and so we're just going to sit here on our suitcases at the train station and as soon as the next train comes by we are heading back to jerusalem they just kept telling themselves there's no reason to get involved with these people these folks are the enemy As a matter of fact, we're just going to stay put, stay to ourselves, and it's going to be normal soon. It was a fortress mentality complicated by rose-colored glasses. It It was this belief that things would never be this bad for very long, and we just need to stay away, sit tight. God is on the way. Well, the fact is, They were left there. They were left there for a long time. As a matter of fact, it was 70 years. Now, there are some verses in Jeremiah 29 that you and I love. As a matter of fact, at least one person here, I'm sure, has it in a frame on a wall in your house, and you read it all the time, and it's just sort of like your go-to verse. See, because here's what God says after he tells them all these things about being in, in, in captivity. He tells them this in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 through 14. He says, I know, I have, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, 
not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me. Then when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from the nations, from all the places that I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where you were put into exile. We like those verses. I mean, those, that's good stuff. But 70 years in exile is a long time to get to verse 11, 12, 13, and 14. It's a long time to be apart from the promise. It's a long time to be away and to realize that this great promise of God is birthed and lived out of an experience away from home. That's what God has for us. See, there were many of these folks who would die in Babylon. Now, I never have been to Babylon. You and I haven't. But my understanding is it was one pagan place. It was everything Jerusalem was not. These were not just simply people who didn't want to tolerate God. These were people who did not have anything to do with God and did not like God. But God was telling the people that they would be there so long it would start to look like home. And if you can believe the New Testament writers, which I think we can, we have some of the same character traits as those people in exile. You see, we also are foreigners and exiles. We also don't live at home. And we also are forced to make changes about how we will live our lives here and now until we get to go home. And the history of the church has been full of those moments in time where we have chosen to sit on our suitcases on the train station, hoping and believing that God's coming soon. There's no way he'll leave us here. And the best thing that we can do is simply isolate ourselves and wait for God. But the words of Jeremiah and the words of Jesus and, and the words of Peter, they give us a different picture of how we live outside the walls of what we know to be our home. Jeremiah says this, seek the welfare of the city. Pray blessing of God on that pagan city. I wonder if that applies to Woodland Park and Colorado also. Jeremiah Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, 16, you're the light of the world in a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they set it on a stand so it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans. That's the folks out there. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. You see, we as the people of God are not home yet. And we are challenged to take our experience and our faith and our identity and every, wherever we find ourselves, whatever day of the week it is, we are the people of God who are living out the reality of God, the experience of God that we profess every day, 
everywhere, all the time. There are just three simple truths that I want to share with you this morning. The first one is this. Know who you are. Maybe better put, know whose you are. If we're going to be a people who are living away from home, we are going to be a people who are living out our kingdom values every day, regardless of the place. Have you ever been on a mission trip? Like a work witness trip. What an incredible experience. I've only been on three or four of them, and uh, our district in Arkansas went on one about every year, every other year, and uh, my church in Bend, Oregon, went on one every other year. I had a chance to be on three or four of those different trips, and um, my, our youth group in Bend, I know, used to go every summer. Matter of fact, they even went to Dem- Denver one year with, uh, I think it was City Connects, but uh, it's a chance to go change environments, right? And you get to see a whole different world around you. You get to see some people. And some mission trips are overseas. Some are local. Uh, Some are just weekend trips. Some are a couple weeks. But they usually have some combination of of a building project, some sort of work that's going to be done, and also some opportunity to to share the gospel. It's always that. And it's just an inspirational time. Not only only to go, but to see God do these amazing things in the lives of other people. And uh, what I notice is that, uh, and it's not just others, but he does new things in me too. Those mission trips are, are fantastic. And it seems to me that we can be so much better people when we are on a mission trip for the kingdom than we are at home. And I figured out the difference. It's the t-shirt. It's the T-shirt. First, it's always a brightly colored T-shirt. Now, I didn't learn this till I was a leader of a group. That reason you have a brightly colored T-shirt is that way when they're mixing and mingling in some airport, you can spot those 15 aqua blue T-shirts wandering around and make sure that you get your team all together. But the T-shirt, it has everything about kingdom living right on it. It usually says <coughs> where you're from, right? Uh, Woodland Park on mission, and then where you're, where you're going, somewhere on the back, Project Ecuador, and then usually tells you why you're going, changing lives for Jesus. I mean, it's all right there on the t-shirt, and when we put that aqua blue or vivid red or hot pink, whatever it is, when we put that t-shirt on, all of a sudden, we are a different person. <clears throat> We're kind to TSA. And we let other folks go in before us before we walk into the store or walk into the, the line and on the, get on the bus. And we're courteous about, about everything we say and do and are because what's well, right on the T-shirt. We're representing Jesus. I was on a trip to Ecuador and it had just been flooded there and it was, a, it was just a disaster. Most of the roads were out and it was just sort of dirt, and we were trying to dig these holes to pour concrete for, uh, for footings, and uh, the water table was so high because of the flooding, we were dealing with all that, and we were also trying to run a vacation Bible school, and these three women, who are nice ladies in my church, but, you know, never known to go out and set the world on fire, 
they came up to me and they said, we've met this woman and she needs some medical care and there's no way she can get it and we're not going to be able to provide it, but we're just wondering, and she doesn't have much food, but is it okay if we just go take some, some food stuff to her and would it be okay if we go and spend the morning with her and we want to pray with her and anoint her for healing? Would that be okay? Well, sure it's okay. I mean, that's a mission trip. And then I realized it's the t-shirt that did it. They were different people when they're not at home. You and I are not at home. I think one of my first actions as district superintendent will be to buy t-shirts for everyone in Colorado. We're not at home. Knowing who we are becomes foundational to our behavior and our attitudes and our words and our actions and all the vast spiritual resources that we have. Now, I don't want you to think I'm just talking about T-shirts and other people because i got to tell you, I have a little bit of a confession. I really hate long lines at banks. Oh. And if I go to the bank, you just have to know that there's someone in front of me who wants to change a bunch of cash into coins for their store or whatever it is, or decided to make a big deposit but never added up the checks beforehand. And so, you know, you just stand there, and it just gets slower and slower and slower. And I'm thinking, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And I know I'm showing it in my face, and I really try not to. And then I get up to the front, and I slip my paycheck to the teller, and it says on the front of the check, Church of the Nazarene, Pastor Virgil Askren. And they look up at me, and all of a sudden I relive the last 10 minutes I've stood in line thinking, I wish I was wearing my T-shirt right now. You see, the fact is, it doesn't matter if we have a T-shirt on. It doesn't matter how long we're in line at the bank. You and I know that God makes a difference in our lives. And is it a difference that is to be reflected and shared with the world around us? See, I believe that the destiny of folks is hanging in the balance, determined by us knowing who we are and then living out who we are in full expression as a follower of Jesus. Know who you are. Know whose we are. There's a second truth that I want to leave with you this morning, and uh, <clears throat> it's, it's pretty simple. Live life to the fullest. Live every day to the fullest. Be fully present, even in exile. I remember having a hard time when we were being uh, moved from, uh, we took the church in Klamath Falls, Oregon, from Portland, Oregon, and we had been in uh, Portland, uh, for all of our ministry up to that time, and we'd finally been able to purchase a home, and uh, we enjoyed our ministry at Portland First Church. I mean, life was, life was good, but it was clear that it was time to go. And so, I don't know how many of you have ever been to Klamath Falls, but everything that Portland was, Klamath Falls, uh, is not. You know, Klamath Falls is sort of like, when people say, where you're going, you'd say, we're moving to Klamath Falls, and they'd go, oh. Klamath Falls has this huge lake, Klamath Lake, but it's only about six or eight feet deep at the deepest. 
And so they're talking about mosquitoes. We were talking about mosquitoes a few minutes ago. There are mosquitoes. And so to deal with the mosquitoes, there are these midges. And these midges are these little tiny green bugs. And they splatter on your windshield. And when you're a novice, what you do is you, you take the, the wipers and you wipe across. Then it just smears the green across the windshield. And that's even worse than before they hit. Klamath Falls, where we were going. And I was confident that moving to Klamath Falls would be the end of my ministerial career. That I would go there and they would never hear from me again. And that everything that I was a part and everything that I was doing was lost the day we moved to Klamath Falls. And I was struggling with a few of these things. And so I came up with a plan. I decided that I could do it for five years. It's my, I call it my five-year plan. That I can do anything for five years. And that in the ministry, five years is a respectable number. If a, if a pastor can stay at a church for five years, that's pretty good. No one's going to be going, well, I guess there was something wrong there. I mean, five years seems to be a good number. So I thought, five years. I was basically going to take my suitcase, and I was going to sit on the train's depot waiting for the train to come, and I was just going to hang out there. Judy and I would do the best we could in ministry, but I wasn't going to connect with these people. I was just going to do my job, stay focused, watch the calendar, five years. And I was going to a counselor at the time because that plan wasn't seeming to, going to work very well. And I was telling the counselor about my plan, my five-year plan. And he said, but what if, uh, uh, what if God only wants you there nine months? And I thought, well, he's not a very good counselor. Because surely he knows that to be respectable in ministry you got to stay at least five years. So I tried to explain it to him one more time just so that he would understand it clearly. And he, he said, what, what if instead of building a box for yourself and for God, what if instead of drawing a line in the, stand, in the sand between what was acceptable and non-acceptable, what if you just let the Lord have each day fully forget five years bring it down to one day he said what if you took that day fully engaged can you imagine if each of our days was lived fully engaged for God and for others for God uh, that changes everything you see I'm here today because God wants me here Today, living out his promises, living fully in this day. These exiles, they were getting some advice. They were being told, keep the stiff upper lip, sit on the suitcase. You could wait this thing out. <laughs> they had some sort of idea that, that God would never leave them there. And Jeremiah reminds them that God is giving them 70 years. 70 years. And God tells them in the letter, make yourself at home in Babylon. Get a job in Babylon. Make friends in Babylon. Your kids are going to be born and raised there. They're going to go to school there. Get involved in a civic group in Babylon. Start to make friends with your neighbors in Babylon. 
you're going to have kids and their names aren't going to be things like Reuben and Aaron and Lydia. Instead, they're going to be these names like uh, Zerubbabel, Balthasar. They're going to... Sennacherib, that's always one of my favorites. You're going to become a part of this new city. And you're going to make a positive impact on this place that is now your home, all for the kingdom of God. You see, you may be in Babylon, but you'll never lose your identity in who you are in him. Specifically, he says, seek the peace and the prosperity of this city. They're to desire for the welfare of their foreign home. Now, that doesn't give you any space for a bad attitude, does it? They're to want to see it blessed. And God reminds them that a city that is blessed blesses all the members of that town. And when the city prospers, so do the people of the city. I love that. That had to be a game changer for these folks. That had to be a new way for them to think. That can be a challenge to the way I think. It's not like us getting to pick our retirement home, downsize, hire someone to come and mow the lawn. They were taken against their will. They were put into exile. They were removed from their towns, the place where they belonged. Their temple was destroyed, the center of their being. The walls were gone. That was their security. And God turns around and he says to them, instead of those things, I will be your security, and I will be your center, and I will be your place of belonging. The jobs were gone. The homes were gone. And there was a lot of reason you could just hate being there and want to have a bad attitude about it. There were plenty of reasons that you could make life in Babylon miserable for everyone around you. And the natural man may be tempted to be a part of all of that. But the people of God, hearing the word of God, that it's going to be a long time, (coughs) make the best of this place that you have called home. And here's the game changer, verse 7. Your translation may say, pray for the welfare or the prosperity or prosper the city. You may even have the word peace in there. The word in Hebrew is the word shalom. (laughs) Now, shalom is the peace of God. It's the prosperity of God. It's the welfare and the well-being that God provides. And Jeremiah is telling these folks in exile that they're going to be there a long time and they need to make it home. And then he tells them that a key part for it to be home when you are a part of the family of God is the reality that God is involved in your daily lives and that your family and everyone in your realm of influence. And Jeremiah is inviting these Hebrews to pray for the peace and the prosperity of the very people that took them into exile. He's inviting them to pray that the well-being of God would be their well-being. He is praying that this shalom of God would be evident in the civic arena 
in the lives of people that we could define as the enemy. Do you see that? He's telling them to pray the blessing of God. The people of God, not just the people of God, but on people who don't even know him, that are in opposition to him. It's shalom. And shalom is totally pervasive, all-encompassing. It's not just something you wear, but it's something that defines your heart and your mind and your soul. You know your identity. You who know who you are. And so regardless of where you find yourselves, you not only bloom where you're planted, but you bless where you're planted. Live life to the fullest. Share and live out the shalom, the peace, the prosperity of God. There's a third truth that I want you to know this morning. It should be obvious, but just in case it's not. That third truth is that there should be something different about the people of God. That's really what Jeremiah is telling us. There should be something different about the people of God. They should be the very best. See, the words of Jeremiah are not simply a spiritual blessing on the city. Shalom is one of those words that invades every space of human relationship. Let's see if I can figure out a way to help you. I know I've got a little oxygen deprivation in the brain, but let me see if I can think clearly enough for just another minute here. What does it mean to seek the welfare of the city? What does it mean to seek the peace of Woodland Park so that as a follower of Jesus Christ in a city that's not Christian, and I don't know the story of Woodland Park, but may not even be interested in Christianity or even friendly toward Christianity, how do we seek the welfare of the city? Well, it seems to me that the very best workers in Woodland Park or whatever town surrounds here should be the people of God. It seems to me that the very best bosses in Woodland Park should be the people of God, that the very best neighbors should be the people of God, that the very best customers in all of Woodland Park should be the people of God, that the best friends to others in Woodland Park should be the people of God, that the best teammates on the soccer league or the bowling club or maybe a skiing, whatever you have here, should be the people of God. It means that the people who are really making a difference in this town, whether they're the ones whose names are on a ballot or have their picture on a post, poster, but the ones who are really making a difference in this town, the peacemakers, the very best peacemakers, should be the people of God. It means that, that the best business people in this town are the people of God. That, and this might go too far, but that the most courteous drivers in all of Woodland Park should be the people of God. You get the picture. To care for the welfare of the city is, is all about bringing the presence and the reality of our God into every circumstance, situation, relationship, work environment in all of Woodland Park. And the reality is this, that when Woodland Park prospers, we prosper. That when Colorado prospers, 
we prosper. And as followers of Jesus, we know that when people see and meet and hear about and are introduced to Jesus, most importantly, the kingdom of God prospers. That they should see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's not about what happens here in church or in your Bible study group or with your four best friends that may don't go to this church, but we all love Jesus. But it is about the people of this city who may be far from God and are waiting for the people of God to live out their calling. The reality is we may not always be so good at this. And perhaps we just need a letter from God reminding us to seek the welfare of the city. A letter that says, let your good deeds be shined before men. And for some of us here, maybe all of us, it's simply an attitude adjustment That reminds us who we are. And that we are living this day fully. So that the kingdom of God would be seen and known throughout Woodland Park. Everywhere we go. I wonder what would need to change in your life. So that Woodland Park would be a different place because of you. What would need to change so that this day would be fully his and that we would live out his presence knowing that it's going to be a long time but his kingdom is coming. Let's be the people of God in this place. Amen? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, what a privilege to be with you this morning. What a privilege, Lord, to know that you have not called us to a place, but to a relationship. And that relationship goes with us wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves. Lord, we we live in a place, all beautiful and surroundings. We live in a country that's really struggling We live in a, in a state that has values that are different than ours. We start to sound like exiles in this place. Would you keep our hearts pure? Would you help us to be a people who pray for and live out the welfare of this place? The shalom of this place. And Lord, may our lives be so committed and devoted to you that it's nothing contrived 
but that it's simply living out of the vitality of our relationship. Help us to be all that you've called us to be wherever we find ourselves. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I I don't know if I'm turning this over to Eric. Do you usually sing at the end? Do you? Okay. Well, what are we singing today? Eric, what are we singing today? We weren't planning on singing. Let's sing a song. Okay, what do you want to sing? Make it simple. I only have my air guitar. Amazing grace. Let's do it. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Take that grace that God has given you and share it with Woodland Park. Amen. Lord bless you. You're dismissed.